2: I was
0: $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Burrow's furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast free shipping. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com people today.
2: Hiking one night with my wife in an urban wilderness hiking area of our hometown. It's essentially a large area of the city that's uninhabited and owned by the city parks department and turned into hiking and biking trails. We arrived at dusk one evening and there were no other cars in the parking lot. We began our night hike and about 45 minutes into the hike it was pitch black. We were hiking down a trail and turned a corner when we heard a very low and unnerving growl. We immediately stopped and I shined my flashlight in the direction we heard it come from. About 5 yards away. We couldn't see anything. We stood there for a few moments to see if we could hear it again. And sure enough it got louder. It sounded deep and large, almost like a lion was growling at us. It was very startling. We never saw anything but ended up booking it the opposite direction. Literally sprinting back to the parking lot. I've never ran so fast. After getting back to the car and gathering our wits, we heard distant motorcycles driving down the road. They sounded similar to the growl we heard. I tried making sense of it. Was it the motorcycles or an animal? The only native animal large enough to make a deep growl like that would maybe be a mountain lion. We don't have any other large animals around here capable of making that sound. I know there are a few mountain lions here and there in the surrounding rural areas where I live, but in city limits? No way. I'm still baffled about it. hiking in central Maine, near the 100-mile wilderness section of the AT about as thinly populated as you can get in the lower 48. Wife and I pull up to the trailhead at about 2 am after a long drive and epic storms, and decide to catch a few z's before hitting the trail at sunrise. After settling in we notice a blinking light on a distant mountain, there's no illumination for miles and miles in any direction so it sticks out immediately and comment on it likely being the only radio tower for 50 miles. Then the light starts slowly moving down the hill, it's maybe a couple miles off, and we both get interested. We figure it must be some truly insane bastard coming down the mountain in the darkest part of night with a headlamp, and the blinking is when a tree obscures line of sight. It keeps coming and picks up speed, and at this point we start to make casual jokes that it's coming right towards us. I can't remember how long we had the car's lights off, but at this point we turn them back on as we're starting to feel a little creepy. We watch the light come down the hill, covering the couple miles in a minute. Maybe two. Then it's right outside about 20 feet off the ground and blinking. We grab a flashlight to try to see what it is, but can see nothing, it's just a blinking light about the brightness of a dim street light appearing every few seconds. It hovered there for around 20 minutes, then was suddenly gone. To this day we have no idea what it was. I assume some kind of giant glowy bug, but I've lived in the country most of my life and have never seen anything that bright or a bug move that fast. I found this old report and I thought you would find it of interest. The lieutenant is anonymous but his sighting is horrible sounding at 4.15 on the morning of July 18, 1944. While acting as the officer in tactical command of a nine-ship anti-submarine task force stationed about 200 miles east of Yokosuka, Japan, I witnessed an incredible encounter with what I believe to be a large sea monster or giant octopi. A destroyer on our starboard side began firing at what was estimated to be about a 70-foot long creature about 2,000 yards away from our ship. The destroyer's gunner reported that the monster suddenly dove at the destroyer, stove in its bow with one sweep of its massive tentacles, and submerged again. When it resurfaced shortly thereafter, moving out ahead of the destroyer, it turned at right angles and caused the ship to list 30 degrees. At that point, the destroyer ceased firing for fear of striking our own ship. I had once directed another destroyer, which was on our port side, to fire with its 5-inch guns on the monster, having no effect other than further damage to the superstructure of our sister ship. The attacking monster submerged and appeared to be moving away from the starboard side of our ship. When it resurfaced on our port side, I turned my ship directly toward the monster's position opened fire with all battery weapons, including 5-inch guns, 40-millimeter anti-aircraft guns, 20-millimeter machine guns, and finally, 4-inch rockets, which were the only weapons available that had a chance of a hit. The rockets were fired in pairs from each turret. When they struck the water, I observed with my own eyes that they skipped like flat stones skimming across the water. One pair of rockets struck the monster's head, which had once disappeared beneath the waves. A second later, two more pairs struck the water where it had just submerged, and I saw large columns of reddish-brown liquid rise to about 50 feet in the air, followed by an explosion which made the ship tremble just slightly. The attacking monster was never seen again. I used to be a park ranger and even I don't believe the horror I found in the woods. So, I'm posting this as a warning. There are things out there that you don't want to know about. Stay away from them. Don't go looking for them. I'll tell you my story in hopes that it will quench your curiosity. It was a night like any other night. At least lately. I had barely arrived at the ranger's station and there were already four calls of vacationers homes getting broken into out here in the west virginia wildlife preserve people tend to think that just because they plant some houses that the animals should somehow know and respect boundaries that's kind of tough when the animals are on a huge plot of land where they've never been hunted and never even been threatened by anything other than a bigger animal folks seem to think this is a great vacation spot for them what they don't realize is it's also a great vacation spot for the animals I hopped in the company truck and started toward my first destination of the night. An elderly couple had been terrorized by a deer that literally broke in through a sliding glass door. They managed to trap it in a side room and needed someone to go release it. I got elected. When I got there the vacationers looked like the ones caught in headlights. They were still wide-eyed. I could tell they were in shock. I had them go into another room and close the door. Once they were out of the way, I found the closest door to the outside and opened it. Then I went to the room with the deer in it. I slowly opened the door and was shocked to find the room covered in blood. The deer was laying on the floor panting. I approached it slowly circling around to leave the doorway open hoping to give it an escape route. The closer I got the more I realized this deer wasn't going anywhere. Its side was covered with claw marks. At first I thought a coyote had attacked it, but the marks were too far apart. They were large enough to be caused by a bear but the individual claws were too far apart. I'd never seen anything like this. If I had to compare it to something I'd say Freddy Krueger sliced it up. The deer's eyes went wide when I approached it, but it didn't jump up and run. I took this as a bad sign. Its breath came in ragged gasps as I struggled to roll it over. Once I did I was my turn to struggle breathing. Its entire side was torn to shreds, but that wasn't the worst part. There were large chunks that were missing. I examined the wounds and found bite marks where the missing flesh should have been. But the bites were massive. If it wouldn't have challenged the laws of nature as well as my own sanity, I would have said it was bitten by a shark. Blood poured out of the side and the deer struggled to draw breath. I stood and left the room leaving the poor creature the dignity of a private death. When I went back in it was still. I took pictures with my cell phone and tried my best to carry the creature out without making more of a mess. After I got it loaded on the back of my truck I went back inside and talked to the vacationers. When I opened the door to the room they were in, the woman's eyes grew wide and she started screaming. The man's eyes were the size of saucers as well. I approached them slowly with my arms outstretched to try to calm them down. It seemed to have the opposite effect. They started climbing the furniture and clawing at the walls to get away from me. I decided to back away and give them some room. What's wrong? I said. The man pointed a shaky finger at me. Yo, you, you're covered in blood, he said. The deer got you, the woman said. You've got rabies. Or worse. The man said keeping his distance. I'm sorry folks, I said. This is the deer's blood. You killed it just for breaking in? The woman said. What? No, it was already injured, I just took it to my truck. The couple seemed to settle down and consider this. So you don't have rabies? The man said slowly looking me up and down. Or anything else? The woman said hiding behind her husband. No, Ma'am, I'm fine. She took her turn eyeing me up and down, I assumed looking for wounds. Being satisfied, they asked the one question I didn't want to answer. So what killed the deer? The man said. I really don't know, I said truthfully. Having just gotten them calmed down I didn't want to send them back into a panic. It was probably just a coyote, I said. A coyote? The man said diving back into the pool of panic or a bear, I said trying and failing to calm them. A bear? The woman said diving in after her husband. You know, folks, you've had a traumatic night, I said. I can't tell you what to do, but if I were you, I'd. We're leaving. The woman said dragging her husband out of the room. That sounds like a good idea, I said. And then like an idiot I added. I hope you enjoyed your stay. They either didn't hear me or ignored me. Either way it wasn't long until I heard a car start then roar away from the house. I went back into the room where the deer had been trapped and started working backwards from there, trying to find out what had happened. It wasn't hard to pick up the trail, it had been bleeding badly. Seeing the bites and claw marks made that fairly obvious. I tracked back through the kitchen and out the smashed glass door. Once outside, I turned on my flashlight. The trail was a little harder to follow but not much. I could still see drops of blood beside its tracks as I followed them back toward the pond behind the house. I approached the pond and saw signs of a struggle. This must have been where the deer was attacked. There were other tracks in with the deers but they didn't make sense to me. They were large, too large. Their shape was odd as well. If I had to call them anything I would have called them duck prints. But massive larger than any duck by many times. A giant duck with shark teeth. I think I'll leave that out of my report. I thought. It suddenly struck me what the tracks were. It was a man with swim fins on his feet. But why? Why go to all that trouble to poach a deer when you can just knock it out with a tranquilizer gun? My mind sent me an answer but I didn't like it. What if the man is a psychopath? just getting his kicks by killing an animal with his bare hands? I thought about the mental hospital in the neighboring county and wondered if one of their patients had taken an unsanctioned leave of absence and they were trying to keep it quiet. I didn't like that thought one bit. Aside from the fact that it didn't explain the huge bites on the deer, it also meant we had someone who might suddenly get a taste for killing. Doing this to animals was horrible, but what if he decided to go after something bigger? I shot a look at the house wondering how many vacationers were within a short walk from this spot and how many were armed. As I contemplated the safety of the people in the area, I heard something behind me. I whipped around and shone my light but saw nothing. I scanned the pond and saw a ripple emanating from the middle. Probably just a fish jumping. I took some more pictures of the struggle area with my phone then started back toward my truck. I had more calls to answer and this riddle would have to wait. I drove halfway around the lake, around three miles, to the other vacation home where a break-in had been reported. When the woman in her thirties answered the door she took a step back. Oh my, she said looking at the dried blood all over my uniform. Good evening, ma'am, sorry about my appearance, I said. Did you report a break-in? Yes we did, please come in. She said in a friendly tone yet gave me a wide berth while closing the door. She led me upstairs to the kitchen. For some reason I was expecting to find blood all over like with the last house. However this was a completely different mess. She showed me the door. It had been forced open but not shattered like the last one. There was only a small amount of glass broken. Then the door latch had been unlocked and the door slid open. There were faint images of my giant duck tracks like the last house. My spine turned to ice. This house was over three miles away from the other. There were many more people in that space that might have fallen victim to this crazed person. The woman showed me the rest of the kitchen and the mess that had been left. There were a few cans of sardines that had been opened and eaten and also some cans of tuna fish. The strange thing was how they were opened. The cans had been torn into with something sharp but not a can opener. The marks looked like they were torn open with claws. I shuddered to imagine the amount of strength it took to do something like that. And then I spotted it. Beside one of the cans of tuna was a small puddle of blood. Ma'am, could I trouble you for a sandwich bag? I said. She handed me one and I carefully tried to scrape as much blood into it as possible. I sealed it and put it in my pocket then went out through the broken door. Behind the house, just like with most of these vacation houses there was a pond. I traced the tracks back to it and they disappeared at the waterline. I shone my light over the water but the only thing I saw was a stray turtle. I stared at it for a long time as though it would somehow give me a clue as to what was going on. What should we do? The woman said nearly scaring me half to death. I hadn't heard her follow me out the door and into the yard. I'll send someone around to look at that door in the morning, I said. In the meantime it might not be a bad idea to sleep in a room that has a lock on the door. I'm sure they won't be back, but just in case. She didn't seem very comforted by that idea, but thanked me as I left. The next two reports were just teenagers breaking in and stealing beer. That was it. No bloody wildlife, no weird tracks, just kids being kids. I went back to the station, changed out of my bloody uniform, and spent the rest of the night filling out reports on what had happened. When my shift was over and I passed on what had happened, I took a little trip to the neighboring county. I stopped in at the mental hospital and asked if they had any escapes lately. The nurse looked at me like I had asked her if she was wearing deodorant. We don't have escapes, she said with obvious pride that showed his arrogance i thanked her and left feeling less than satisfied with her answer next i stopped in at the local police department and asked one of my friends on the force if they could analyze the blood sample for me i shared my thoughts that there might be an escapee from the mental hospital and the blood sample might help us find out who and track him down it was well past noon until i got to bed That night when I got to work it was pandemonium. There had been more break-ins and people were starting to panic. The owner of the resort was frantic. People were cancelling left and right and wanting their money back. When I walked in he stormed he pudgy face right up into mine. You told people to go home? He fumed glaring up at me. I merely suggested. Do you want to pay their rental out of your salary? I work for the state, not you, I said. He turned a deeper shade of red. Would you rather see people in body bags instead of animals? I said. That wouldn't do much for business, now would it? He turned fire engine red and stormed out mumbling, we'll see. I investigated five break-ins that night. Only two of them were legit. The rest seemed like half-hearted attempts to stage a break-in so they could get out of paying for their rental. The two real ones shared the same characteristics as before. Just enough of a broken window to open the door. The cans of whatever seafood was available. They even got shrimp out of the freezer. Everything about the way the intruder acted pointed to a person. All I needed to know was who. Again I followed the tracks back to the nearby pond. I stood for a long time studying the surface of the water. I knew these ponds were all designed the same. A roughly 40 yard by 40 yard body of water around 5 feet deep in the middle, stocked with mostly bluegill for catch and release fishing. Anyone using these ponds to hide would have to be holding their breath for inhuman periods of time. I stared at the surface for 20 minutes. If someone was out there they had an invisible snorkel or an extra set of lungs. After my rounds of investigating and reporting I decided to stick around and do a little extra investigating. I ran home, grabbed my swim trunks, mask, and snorkel, and went to the site of the most recent break-in. I waded out into the water, unsure of what I would find when a snake slithered past me. I let it go and waded deep enough to where I could swim. I hovered at the level of the surface, dipping my mask underwater to get a glimpse of whatever there was to see. There wasn't much. Fish, underwater plants, and lots of water. Just what you would expect from a pond. As I kept going towards the middle, the water was getting deeper. I now couldn't touch the bottom. I had to float on the surface. Looming in front of me was a dark spot on the bottom of the pond. I took it for a rock but swam close enough to investigate anyway. In for a penny, in for a pound. As I drew close enough to hover over it I realized it wasn't a rock. I took a deep breath and dove to find out what it was. The further I swam down the further I was able to swim down. I kept going and going. Light disappeared. I was sure I had been swimming straight down for a solid minute without touching the bottom. I turned and looked up. The surface of the pond was only a pinprick of light. My lungs screamed at me to turn around. I had no choice but to comply. I clawed at the water in desperation. It seemed like I was swimming in mud or something was pulling me down, almost like a force or current pushing against me, wanting me to drown before I could fully explore this hidden secret. After what felt like an eternity I broke the surface of the water and gasped for air. I swam over to the shallows and walked out of the pond. I collapsed on the shore and lay there for a long time trying to regain my breath. As my brain received oxygen I thought about what had happened and if it had been real, an illusion, or if I had just gotten turned around somehow and stuck at the bottom. I had to find out. I wasted no time driving two counties over and renting some dive equipment, along with a light. So armed, I returned to the pond and walked toward the middle again. This time when I dove toward the dark spot I was able to see exactly what it was. I used the flashlight to examine the darkness. As I swam deeper, the sides closed in on me as if I was swimming down the gullet of some massive fish. I've never been claustrophobic before, but that was rapidly changing. I barely had any room to maneuver as the sides closed in. I contemplated turning around, but there was no room. I could feel myself start to panic. I had to focus to keep my breaths regular. I was very close to a panic attack when suddenly the tunnel opened up again. The sides grew further apart. I checked my watch and I had been under for 15 minutes. The sides of the tunnel had spread out so far they were barely visible and I could see a light ahead of me. I swam toward it, desperate to get out of this water. I broke through the surface and looked around. I was in the pond. Somehow I had gotten turned around and was back in the pond. I swam to the side until I could stand and walked out to the shore. Looking around I made a startling discovery. I was in a pond. The same one as the break-in last night. Somehow there was a hidden tunnel between the two ponds. That's how the robber never gets caught. He just swims to the next pond slick as snot. No fuss, no muss. I now knew the how. But I needed to know more. As tempting as it was to swim back through the tunnel, I was still a little shaken and didn't want to risk an underwater panic attack. I walked back to my truck, took off my dive equipment, and drove back to the dive shop. I asked about frequent customers, especially for refilling tanks. They told me they had a few regulars that came in every weekend but no one knew and no one who needed refilled more than once a week. I asked if there were any other dive shops in the area and they told me the next closest one was over a hundred miles away. I went home frustrated. It wasn't making sense. He would need air to swim back and forth through that tunnel and that was his escape route, I was sure of it. i tried to sleep through the afternoon, but my mind wouldn't let me rest. It was working on the impossible puzzle of how the robber was getting air. I borrowed a couple trail cams and set one up at each pond. I needed to see if he had some new tank system or what. I also wanted to identify him and shut him down fast. I made sure to stay away from those ponds that night so he would feel free to do his thing. In the morning, I gathered the cameras and took them home. I downloaded both memory cards before watching the video. Just as the second download was finished my phone rang. Hello? I said. Hey, John, it's Steve, I got the results from that blood you gave me the other day. Great, I said hitting the play button on my computer. Were you able to get a match on any hospital records? Not exactly. Why not? I asked as a ghostly green image appeared on my computer. The image was blurred but it was definitely the size of a man walking upright toward the camera. I clicked to the next slide and froze at what I saw. Well. The thing is the blood you gave me came back as reptile DNA. I registered the words he said in my mind, just like I registered the image on my computer screen, but I just couldn't place them in reality. Are you there? He said into the phone. Yes, I'm sorry, I said. Could you send a copy of your findings to my office? Sure, no problem. Thanks, I appreciate it. You really helped me figure this out. Anytime he said cheerfully before hanging up. I hadn't taken my eyes off the computer screen the whole time. No matter how long I stared at it I couldn't make my mind acknowledge it as real. Standing there, large as life was not a man in a wet suit, it was a creature. I could see the wide mouth full of sharp teeth that looked exactly like the bites on the deer. I could see the webbed feet that looked like swim fins only they had claws sticking out of the front where toes would be. I saw the razor-sharp claws on its webbed hands. It was a full-on nightmare staring me in the face. I sat back and thought for a long time. Then I printed copies of the images and put them in an envelope. I rushed to the station to share the information I had with my fellow rangers. As I was showing them, their faces ranged in emotions from shock to disbelief to outright mocking. As I was going through my investigation the owner of the timeshares walked in. What are we all looking at? He said eyeing me with contempt. It seems like John has solved the case of the break-ins, one of the other rangers said. The owner approached. He picked up the lab report and read it, then stared for a long time at the picture. Do you know what this is? He said absently. I really don't know yet, I said. I've never seen anything like it. He turned to me and smiled. This is money, he said holding up the picture what do you mean? I said. Those idiots that go around hunting, what do they call them? Cryptids? Yeah, cryptids, they'll pay through the nose if they think they can find something like this. And then there's the TV shows and merchandising, he said. You may have saved my financial hide. He beamed at me. I don't think you understand, I said. This is a dangerous animal. If you had seen what it did to that deer. So what do you want to do? Hunt it down and kill it? Maybe not kill it but definitely tranquilize it and take it to a secure location where it can't hurt anyone. You dumb son of a bitch, he yelled. I could make a mint. I wouldn't even have to repair those houses. They would all rush in to investigate and leave piles of cash in my bank account. But what about the people? Who cares about the people? He said. Throw them all out. I've got the chance of a lifetime beating down my front door and you want to flush it down the toilet because you're scared someone might break a nail. He was breathing hard and staring up into my face. The air was charged with fury. His and mine. And then a sudden calm came over him. Charles, he said addressing the lead ranger. Isn't this a wildlife preserve? Yes it is, Charles said warily and aren't the wildlife on this preserve protected from all tampering by law? Well I guess so, Charles said. What if those animals present a threat? I said to Charles. How many deer were killed by coyotes on this preserve last year? The owner said. Dozens, Charles said. Were the coyotes removed from the preserve? No, Charles said. The owner turned and shot me a triumphant look. John, Charles said. I know you have everyone's best interests in mind but you're gonna have to let this go. I glared at him. And what happens when this thing decides it likes to eat humans? All the eyes in the room that had been on me suddenly found somewhere else to look. All but the owner. He was smiling from ear to ear. I think the pudgy little bastard was about to break into the happy dance. I searched the room for any support but found none. I pulled my badge off my shirt quietly laid it on the desk and left. If that was the end of my story I would say I had failed. I took my pension and rented one of the houses on the preserve. The owner had leaked through social media that a cryptid had been spotted on the preserve. As he had guessed the cryptid hunters and TV crews came in droves, renting everything in sight. My goal was different. I already knew it existed. I knew how it got around without being detected. I stayed at one of the break-in houses. Every night I took a huge tuna I had bought fresh that morning and laid it out beside the pond. I sat in the dark living room and watched the first night as it approached the fish with more caution than curiosity. After sniffing it for a long time, it grabbed it and dove for the pond. Each night after, I laid out a fish and the creature became less cautious. It was being fed and the media frenzy was starving. The hunters had found nothing. There were no sightings as long as I fed it. Everyone had their cameras set up. The few that roamed around left me alone when they saw someone in the house. I guess they thought I was another cryptid hunter and respected my privacy. As the number of sightings stayed at zero, they started turning on the owner, calling him a fraud. His reputation plummeted. After a week with no sightings people started leaving. In desperation, He did the wrong thing. He hired an actor to dress in a creature suit and roam around. Of course the hunters and shows saw right through this and destroyed what was left of his reputation. I had rented the house for two weeks. Between the rent and the fish my money was running out.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 Luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns
2: I had kept the people safe but what would happen when I stopped feeding it? I had managed to clear out most of the people so they would be safe, but what about my fellow rangers? What would happen when it became desperate? When the starving creature no longer had houses full of food to break into? I had three more nights until I had to leave. I was out of money. The preserve had become a ghost town. As far as I knew I was the only renter left. It was decision time. I sat staring at the large tuna on the table with a bottle of bleach next to it. Let it live and see what happens or kill it? I thought about this for a long time. Both options had merits and consequences. I chose a third option. A much more dangerous one. I took the fish out and laid it where I usually did, then backed up a few feet and stood there. Over an hour passed before the water stirred. I saw the head and eyes of the creature appear as it headed toward the fish. And then it stopped. It had seen me. I made sure to keep still with my arms at my side. It slowly approached and stood. It was a few feet away with the fish in between us. It studied me and sniffed the air then became agitated. Perhaps it had smelled my scent before as a pursuer. It let out a soft hiss but bent down and took the fish keeping its eyes on me the entire time. Then once it had its meal it did the most incredible physical display I've ever seen. It leapt 20 feet in the air and landed in a perfect dive right in the middle of the pond leaving almost no splash. I let out a breath I didn't realize I'd been holding and collapsed to the ground shaking. Once I had recovered I went back inside and fell into a fitful sleep. That was only part of my plan. The next night would decide who lived and who died. I did exactly like the night before, minus the fish. The creature approached, stepped up to me and looked around for the fish. I showed it my empty hands. It sniffed at them and growled having smelled the scent of fish. It looked at my hands and I wondered if it was going to bite them off as a substitute. It hissed at me and sniffed my face. I saw it flexing its claws the whole time. I stared into its face, those massive razor-sharp teeth and swallowed hard. I did all I could to stay still, to show it I wasn't a threat. My heart hammered in my chest. It opened its jaws and showed me those horrible teeth. Its breath was a horrid stench I had never smelled and hoped to never again. I closed my eyes not knowing if they would ever open. Seconds fell into minutes, I opened my eyes and I was alone. There wasn't even a ripple in the water. I sighed. My decision had been made. It had shown restraint and I would too. I went back inside, packed and left. I could only hope and pray that the people that remained, including my former co-workers, would be safe. I went home and slept restlessly. In the morning there was a report in the newspaper on a break-in at the wildlife preserve. They said the only thing that was taken were cans of tuna fish. I smiled ruefully and wondered how long it would stay that way. If you're reading this, Don't go looking for this thing. If you see it, don't tell others about it. Just leave it alone and hope for the best. And these aren't cute little human dragonflies with flower petals for clothes and sweet smiles. I don't know about you guys, but when I think of fairies, I'm picturing something like Tinkerbell, yeah, I know, she's technically a pixie, sue me. That is not the shit my roommate is messing with. I noticed she was weird when I moved in. She was advertising for a roommate on Craigslist and she said she'd need someone who was. Open-minded. Who was alright with strange people coming and going at all hours. Who wouldn't ask questions about things that didn't involve them. And who would be okay with sharing a bathroom. Yeah, okay, not ideal. But I didn't need ideal, I needed livable and honestly? I didn't really give a shit what she did in her spare time. Hell, she could have been cooking meth in her room, as long as she didn't get me involved in her drug deals, I wouldn't have given a shit. Turns out she wasn't dealing drugs. Unless she was sharing marijuana with her deadbeat friends or something. Instead, she was into the occult. Supernatural stuff. Conspiracy theories. She believes in anything and everything. She's convinced she's seen Bigfoot. She was abducted by aliens when she was 10 years old. She doesn't get vaccines because the government is using them to control people's minds. That kind of stuff. Is it terrible for me to say that I kind of like her? I mean, let's make no mistake here, she's messed in the head. But she's actually a really good roommate. Pays her bills on time, cleans up after herself, asks me before having her weird gatherings and rituals and shit. Whenever she buys groceries she grabs my favorite candy bar for me. And at least she's interesting. I'd rather sit and talk to her for an hour than listen to Nancy from work describe her latest MLM adventures. And before you argue with me, Stella, that's the name my roommate chose for herself, I guess, doesn't vote, so it's not like her weird ass opinions and beliefs hurt anyone else. She told me once she thinks that if you enter a voting booth, the government will put you to sleep, embed your skin with a mind-reading chip, and release you back into society and you won't have any memory of what happened. And that it happened to her mom and that's why her mom believes in evolution. Right, anyway. So life with Stella wasn't terrible. We got along okay for the most part. And we managed to live together for six months before her weirdness started getting a little too close for comfort. What do I mean by that? Well, one morning I woke up to mold growing in a ring in our living room. Seriously, it was a huge ass ring. Our living room is actually pretty sizable, especially since Stella doesn't believe in furniture so it's practically empty except for her weird candles everywhere. It never bothered me, since I don't use the common spaces much anyway but mold growing in my apartment was definitely not okay. Stella, what the hell is this? I asked. Stella was sitting at the edge of it, a mountain of books next to her. I saw a few titles straight away, myths of the fey folk, fairies, and other creatures, the magical arts. In her hands was a book on botany, which was extremely peculiar in the moment, but not so much in hindsight. It's a fairy ring. At least, It will be, she said, a small frown on her petite lips as she poured over her book. I bit back the urge to scream. I don't know what a fairy ring is, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't belong in our living room. If you don't get it out of here, so help me God, Stella sighed and put her book down. I thought you'd say that, she said, reaching into the black messenger backpack at her side and pulling out a slightly crumpled envelope. She always had that bag on her, and I often saw her pull out any number of weird things from it. So you can understand that I was a little hesitant to take the envelope from her. But I did, and I opened it, and immediately my frayed nerves were soothed. $500 in cash will do that to a person. For the inconvenience, she said, going back to her book without a second glance at me. And if we get in trouble with the landlord, I'll pay for any damages. I knew our landlord wouldn't bother coming around and checking, he didn't give a shit what anyone did in those apartments, anyway, so I was more than happy to let it slide. As long as that shit didn't start growing in my room. I did wonder where she got all that money, though. Stella was never short on cash, even though she didn't have a job, at least not that I could tell. Oh, well, never look a gift horse in the mouth. I shrugged my shoulders and let it go. That night before I went to bed, I googled fairy rings. I only read for about 5 minutes before I got bored and gave up on it. Do you know how much has been written about these things? Too much. Anyway, I figured out two very important things. First, many cultures believe that fairy rings are caused by fairies or pixies dancing in a circle. Second, mortals absolutely should not F with them. Now, I wasn't worried. Not only did I not believe in fairies, but I was also pretty sure you couldn't just grow your own fairy ring. I figured that Stella would lose interest in it after a few weeks, like she always did with her random obsessions, and then she'd get rid of it and life would continue as normal. Before that had a chance to happen, however, the fairy ring grew. After a few days, it had sprouted mushrooms. I shit you not, literal mushrooms were growing in my living room. Stella seemed overjoyed with this arrangement. I was pretty grossed out because our room was starting to smell. Damp and musty and just gross. I really wanted to yank up that carpet and scrub all that nasty crap away, but I focused on the $500 I was getting for being cooperative and tried to will away my annoyance. Stella's excitement grew over the next few days until it spilled over into the few conversations we had. It's almost ready. They'll be here soon, I can feel it, she said one night when we were having a beer. She was sitting in the middle of the circle while I stayed far outside it. Not out of superstition, but because I wasn't going near that nasty thing. Are you sure that's how it works? I asked. My skepticism must have been obvious, because her response was just on this side of indignant. I've done my research, Janice. It's like that movie, what was it? If you build it, they will come. Just like that. I've made the ring, they won't be able to resist dancing on it. That's just how it works. I wasn't convinced, but. Aw, hell, why not? It's not real anyway, so who cares how she thinks it works. So, what happens afterwards? She looked confused. After what? After the fairies show up, I said. What happens? Do you? Talk to them? Trap them? Ask them to grant you a wish? What? She stared at me in utter bewilderment for a second, and then burst out laughing. God, Janice, you're so funny sometimes, she said. I chose not to press the point. Instead, I finished my beer and went to bed. Things played out about how I expected over the next week or so. Stella was obsessed with her fairy ring, I cycled between ignoring it and indulging her. Eventually, her interest started to wane and she began to turn her attention to other things. I noticed a few books on the Jersey Devil appearing around the apartment, so I figured that's what would plague my life next. I felt like I was living in some sort of sitcom. And then, three weeks ago, something different happened. I woke up around 4 in the morning. My sleep disturbed by a strange blue glow coming from under my door. I stumbled out of bed, rubbing the sleep from my eyes as I went in search of the light source. As soon as I entered the living room, I was almost blinded by the blue light assaulting my eyes. I swore to myself as I shielded my face, trying to let my eyes adjust. Eventually they did and I was able to take in the terrible sight that awaited me. Stella. Naked. Dancing on the fairy ring. Her body twisted and jerked, almost like she was being pulled along. She stumbled but didn't fall, going round and round so quickly it made me dizzy. I started to walk towards her, confused and somewhat unsettled. Was she on acid or something? I almost just went back to my room and pretended I hadn't seen anything. But then the blood caught my attention. It oozed from small cuts all over her body a ring of blood was crusted around her wrists. Slashes across her abdomen resulted in red rivulets tracing paths down her legs. Finally, I saw her face. Her eyes were fixed on me, and a shudder worked its way down my spine. Her face was twisted in agony, her mouth a grimace, her eyes red with tears. Snot was running out of her nose. She was heaving for breath, and I was sure, so sure I saw her scream. Except there was no sound. Nothing at all. I couldn't hear the sound of cars passing by on the road outside, the sound of her feet on the carpet, the sound of her breathing. It was like I was trapped in a vacuum. But, then again, I didn't really need to hear what she was screaming. I could read it on her lips like the words had been printed there. Help me help me help me help me. My body responded to her silent plea and I lunged at her, hand outstretched, intent on wrenching her from the circle. But just then, she disappeared. Vanished in front of my eyes as though she'd never been there. I tripped and fell to my knees, just outside the ring of glowing blue mushrooms that dotted the floor. Slowly, before my eyes, the glow faded to nothing until I was alone in the dark. Just me, the silence, and the knowledge that Stella was not coming back. I called the police, of course. That's what you do, right? I've never been in a situation quite like that before. I knew I couldn't tell them what I saw. So I just told them that when I woke up, she was gone, and that was rare for her. That I was worried something had happened. They declared her missing. I steered clear of the living room. I wanted to get out of there as fast as humanly possible, so I booked a hotel room until I managed to find another place. I didn't give a shit about breaking the lease or forfeiting the security deposit on the apartment. I just wanted out. I got a place pretty quickly, a real dump of a studio apartment, but it's affordable, and built up my courage to go back to our apartment, to pack up my few things and go. When I opened the door. God, no matter how long I live, I'll never forget this. When I opened the door, she was there. Lying there, in the middle of the fairy ring. The cuts had deepened into permanent grooves in her body. She was thinner than before, as though someone had sucked the flesh out of her, tightened her skin until it was tough and leathery. In fact, she almost looked like she'd been mummified. Her eyes were gone. Her teeth were gone. Her mouth was still gaping open, still screaming for someone, me, to help her. And as I stared at the body, I swear to god I heard a faint giggle coming from somewhere in the apartment. I think I'm done with roommates for a while. This occurred in the spring of 2018 while I was hiking the Appalachian Trail near the McAfee Knob in Virginia. I've been hiking for a week at this point, I live in western North Carolina, and was planning on about another two weeks on the AT. I've been on a ton of hikes but this one was quite terrifying. It was mid-May and the scenery was breathtaking. I've been hiking for about 5 hours that day when I decided to set up camp near a small brook. I was settling down for the night when I heard this rustling in the bushes nearby. Now, it wasn't the sort of rustling you would dismiss as a rabbit or a squirrel. This was louder and heavier. It sent a shiver down my spine. I remember thinking that maybe somebody else was out there or maybe a deer. I tried not to think about it but the noise continued and in the exact same spot just off the campsite. It wasn't getting fainter or moving along so I grabbed my flashlight and I headed towards the noise. As I was getting closer the rustling stopped but I could feel something. It's hard to explain but it was like I could feel eyes on me. This feeling of being watched was overwhelming like I was on display. I showed my flashlight around but there was nothing to see, just trees and bushes in the blackness beyond my light. It was then that I heard it. I might even go so far as to say I felt it. There was a low growl, deep and guttural. I could feel it vibrate through the ground. I felt a sense of dread like I was definitely in danger. My heart was racing and I was finding it hard to even breathe. My mind was yelling, get out of there. But my body wouldn't listen. Then something happened. This figure slowly emerged from the shadows. It wasn't just any figure. It was enormous, and standing on two legs, silhouetted against the sparse moonlight. I felt my heart leap to my throat. I mean, we've all heard the stories right about Sasquatch or Bigfoot or whatever you want to call it. To actually see one, well that is different. You have to remember that the light wasn't the best. There was no real moon that night but when my flashlight hit the thing, oh my god, I could see that it was gigantic. I mean it was really tall. I'd say easily eight or even nine feet. It towered above me, giving off this sense of pure raw power that can completely overwhelm me. It was broad and its shoulders seemed as wide as a small car. No exaggeration. Its arms hung down almost to its knees, rippling with muscle under the hair that was matted and black sort of blending with the shadows. Around its face, well, that's something I will never forget. It was more human-like than ape-like, but still not quite human. Its eyes were large and expressive, shining in the light with an intelligence that startled me. The nose was flat, more like ours than a bear or a wolf. The mouth, when it gaped open, I could see its teeth and even its breath as it exited its mouth in a slow stream of steam. The teeth were large and they looked very sharp. It was a terrifying sight, the kind of thing you would expect to see in a nightmare, not on a peaceful hike in the Appalachian woods. The sound it made was a deep rumbling growl that seemed to shake the very ground beneath me. There was like a primal rawness, a sort of power that you can't really put into words. Then suddenly it let out a roar that echoed through the forest, making the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Then, just as suddenly, it disappeared from the light of my flashlight. I swung the light slowly back and tried to pinpoint the thing's current location but I couldn't see anything at all, just that I was alone again, standing there in the pitch black with my heart pounding. That's when I realized that sweat was pouring down from my face and my chest. I hadn't even been aware of what was happening to my body until just then. As you can imagine I didn't sleep a wink that night. Every noise, every shadow had me on edge. I couldn't wait for the day to break. So just as soon as the sun started peeking over the mountains I packed up my stuff and I headed onward. There was no real place to go but to continue on the AT. I did cut the hike short. I didn't make those full final two weeks. I just couldn't get over what had happened. I will tell you that since the encounter I have been back to the Appalachian Trail but never to that same spot. I can't say I'd ever want to see that section of the trail ever again. I work in a factory during the graveyard shift from 10 PM to 6.30 AM in Columbus, Ohio. That night I was actually working my 6th day in a row for overtime. I have had this job for a while now and I am used to this kind of schedule. I am bringing this up because typically after I get home I am still wide awake and tend to sleep later in the day. I was totally alert when this happened. I ended up leaving work early since I completed a lot more orders than usual and I was on my way home around 4.30 am. I turned down the side street that leads to my apartment complex and I immediately noticed it is quite dark as the streetlights are not illuminated. The suburb I live around uses streetlights that have sensors so they light up when people walk by them and turn off by themselves to save energy. As I noticed it was dark I decided to turn on my brights in my car. I am only 6 blocks away from home at this point and I come around a small bend in the road that leads up to a children's park and the only stop sign on this street between my apartment which is a few blocks further. I notice something in the middle of the road. My first thought was it was some stacked garbage that maybe blew off of the curb into the street, but as I drove closer I slowed down as I realized it was a person walking down the street with their back to me. It seemed like an old person. A very old person, actually, by the way, they were walking. I slowed down a lot because it was very odd, I didn't know if they were going to jump in front of my car or what, since there are well maintained sidewalks less than 10 feet for them to use. The next thing I notice is the clothing. The person was walking slowly, almost waddling, and was wearing a hooded jacket with the hood up and their hands inside the front pouch, sweatpants, and soaking wet slippers, due to the light rain without socks. This person was about three car lengths away from the stop sign and I was close now getting ready to stop and ask if they needed help or something. As soon as I was just about right behind him, adjacent, this person who I then saw was an old man with wrinkly and very pale skin, whipped around insanely fast and stared at me. My brights were still on and I could see how pale his skin was and then I saw the pitch back eyes. No whites in his eyes just black. I was immediately filled with terror and almost froze up, but I floored it and sped the last few blocks to my apartment, parked, and sprinted inside locking all my doors, and windows. The next day I realized that none of the street lights were illuminated on my whole street when this happened even though it was within distance to trigger the sensors. I couldn't sleep at all that night. This happened in April 2017. This happened back in the spring of 2018 when I was attending Western Kentucky University. My roommate and I are both old country boys who were living in the city. We are both big outdoorsmen and would rather be in the woods than anywhere else. I grew up in Boy Scouts so I spent at least one weekend a month from age 13 to 18 camping in the woods somewhere. It's just where I feel most at home. So living in the city drove me crazy until I found this beautiful park about 45 minutes outside of Bowling Green called Shanty Hollow Lake. It is a large 135 acre lake with many acres of land surrounding it. This area is a major destination for college kids to hike to a beautiful waterfall, but that's the only trail in this massive park. My buddy and I like to get off the trail and see what we could find. We'd make new trails climb cliffs, and just explore the area. One thing we noticed a lot was saplings usually about six to eight inches in diameter snapped at the base and then twisted around another tree, sometimes once sometimes three times. I always found this odd and in recent history, I've read these could be used as boundary markers. These were usually found off the beaten path nowhere close to where people hiked. The night of the encounter my buddy and I went out around 2 o'clock in the morning to go view a meteor shower. We walked down the trail a ways to get away from the light reflecting off the lake to try and get a better view but it was a full moon so not great for view showers. As we are sitting there just taking in the silence we hear slaps on the water and a flock of geese go absolutely nuts and take off flying. It scared the crap out of us because we weren't talking just kind of sitting there meditating. We think it is a beaver or something and just laugh it off, but then we hear a kerflush. Something massive was thrown into the lake, and I mean massive because it took about five seconds for the water to rain back onto the lake. That is what freaked us out the most. Even though it was very dark, we could see a vast and tall upright form move out of the brush to our right, maybe 150 feet away. There was a grunting sound as well, though it soon faded away. The hair was standing up on the back of my neck and we both simultaneously said let's get the hell out of here and we booked it out as fast as we could. I'll add that there was no one else there at all that night and to my knowledge nothing in the woods could throw a boulder that size. So I ask this question, was it a Bigfoot? I would have to say that it was. I've got a story for you and I don't know what it is. Time travel, time slip, I don't know. My friend lives 400 miles away from me. She's a girl but it's nothing romantic. I was at home in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan and I had a couple of glasses of wine. I fell asleep on my couch watching a football game. So I woke up at 2.30 am. Because the dog jumped on me and wanted to go outside and do her business. So I did that and then I went to bed. I got a phone call about 7 o'clock in the morning from my friend Rhonda and she said to me, why did you leave without telling me you were going? And I said, what are you talking about? And she says, you were here last night, remember? And I said, what? She said, I was sitting in my kitchen crying because she and her boyfriend, she told me, had broken up. And you had spent the night comforting me. I said, Rhonda, I'm at home. I'm 400 miles away. She said, no, 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 you're pulling my leg. She said, now I'm mad at you, you're telling me you don't believe me and you were here. Anyway, she decided to move back to my home city not long after that night, and, get this, I walked into her house to help her pack. And when I stepped into her house, I'd never been there before, it was like, oh my god, I've been here before every hair on my body stood at attention. It was like somebody dumped cold water on me. And get this, she even said to me, don't you remember that at about 2.30am, you had to take Jessie, my dog, to do her business? So, I don't know what that was all about. Was it a ghost story or time travel? And Rhonda and I have talked about it ever since. It's like we are scared to talk about it because it both sends shivers up our spine. This happened in June 2016. The light of the day was starting to fade. We were driving to my mother's house and the small bridge on our T313 was closed, so we turned left and went through the town of Federalsburg, Maryland. We then turned right trying to find a detour. I had just mentioned how we were making good time because I looked at the clock it was 8.30pm. We came upon a very dark wooded area on the road. My mom said, Wow, that is really dark. That is the last thing either of us remember. Then the next thing we knew we looked at the clock, it was 9.25 PM. It literally felt like seconds, before it was 8.30. My 21-month-old daughter had been fussy right before the woods, but she was now very quiet. The dogs had been panting but were now still and quiet. Everything was eerily quiet. We felt very disoriented and realized we were miles from where we originally were and in the totally wrong direction. Based on my memory, my good sense of direction, and my mother's knowledge of the area it made no sense to be where we were. I then noticed a burning bump in the back of my head behind my right ear. My mother felt very numb and extremely disoriented. We both felt as though we had a sunburn, a hot, tight feeling on our faces. She then noticed a bump in her head in the same spot. They looked like fresh needle marks. We drove to my mother's house in Seaford, Delaware in shock and disbelief at what just happened. After arriving home, we experienced headaches, neck aches, and feeling shaky. However, the swelling behind the ear had down on both of us. I was unable to find a mark on my daughter. We are upstanding citizens and this is not a hoax. Something very strange happened to us that night, something we will never forget. We are thankful we had each other to share our experience with because it defies logic. Is it possible that we're experienced an alien abduction or a time slip? I can't believe that I say that because I have never believed in those possibilities before that evening.